Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Good evening, Mr. Bill Real. How are you doing tonight? RFM. I am great. So we've got 84 people in here to begin with. And uh, any thoughts from you before we jump into it? Uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And the 84 who are here at the outset are the chosen. And now they're 119. So, folks, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, follow along. Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Uh, if you can put a positive review on iTunes or uh, share this, by the way, share this. If you're on Facebook watching it or YouTube, copy the link, put it wherever you are interacting on social media. Uh, send this to your family and friends and uh, let's get them thinking deeper about Mormon history. Um, RFM tonight was my week. It's my chance to put something together. And what I wanted to do, I thought this would be just multifaceted. We can put on... Uh, some commentary by Midnight Mormons. Uh, it, it's regarding when you and I had Quaku on. And uh, they, did we have Quaku on the show? We did months did ago, my friend. It was a long yeah. time ago. Okay, it I, was. I can't remember that very well. It was a long. It was a long time ago. And uh, Midnight Mormons ended up doing several videos off of that. Right? They took the things that we asked Quaku and the things we said and the things he responded with and tried to create some videos out of that. And we're going to start off by playing one tonight to get us started. This will get us going down the right track. Uh, so here is uh, that audio. Let me turn up my sound a little bit. So this is going to be us in the side watching them in the middle talk about us on the right. Yeah, yeah. This will be them on the side talking about us at the top having a conversation with him on the bottom. I, I feel like I'm doing the time warp. Oh, yeah. This is, you're right. This is us on the side over, over there. And uh, yeah, yeah. And see, yep, you always got to do it the other way. We're, we're mirror images of each other. Um, <laughs> so yes, it's us on the side talking about them on the bottom, analyzing us on the top. You nailed it, RFM. And here is the audio. I've, I've had those kinds of experiences too, like ones that I would call like deeply miraculous and they bound my testimony to Mormonism at the time. When I say rational, what I mean is that if we're given the list of explanations for why a certain event occurs the way it does, whatever answer requires the least amount of conjecture, the least amount of allowances, the answer that is the, like, okay, uh, there's a noise in the kitchen. It could be an alien or it could be my pet cat. It's an alien. Pet cat is the most rational. Alien. No, Cardinal conclusion, because believing in an alien requires more allowances and more conjecture to make that work. And what I'm saying is that if somebody believes deeply in Mormonism, they've had miraculous experiences, they, their testimony is all in. But in reading all of this stuff, slowly they realize that other people and other religions also have miraculous experiences. And um, as they're searching through all these issues, they come up with more. Yeah, we can pause. Just. They're realizing that other people in other religions also have miraculous experiences. He's saying that as though that means Mormonism 
can't be true. As though the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches somewhere. It's in our articles of faith. We allow people to worship how, where, and what they may. And that article of faith doesn't exist in the way it does exist without a major insinuation that that's good for people. God's yeah. okay with other oh, religions and they're okay. That's true. I'll go, yeah. I'll go further. 1978 church, official church statement, God's love for all mankind, where the church specifically says certain popes, Protestant reformers, Muhammad, Buddha were inspired. Yeah. It's <laughs> I was never taught. I was never taught we're the only people that have interactions with God. Like I yeah. was, and, and it is not at all Mormon doctrine. This is an absolute straw man argument that's put up by the same liars. And I call them liars who said that they can't get any of us to come on their show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that, yeah. that we won't come on because we're too scared. These are the same people lying to you saying that the Mormon church teaches other people can't have positive religious experiences. Yeah. It is categorically false can yeah. we continue and, and he just i i just want to point out that he brings yeah. that up as though that's like a presupposed thing that everybody yeah. knows right like within mormonism no one else can have spiritual experiences or mormonism falls apart that's not also the way things are sorry i just second nephi 29 11 for i command all men both in the east and in the west and in the north and the south and in the south and the islands of the sea that they shall write the words which i speak unto them for out of the books which shall be written will i judge the world yeah. hey <laughs> What about other scriptures? Another miracle to happen in the, it's in our book. Yeah. I command them to write it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point, Quaker. I never thought of that one. Yeah. yeah that's and it's solid. all through our scriptures. It's all yeah. through everything about what the actual doctrine of the church is <laughs> that other people experience the spirit. They experience God in their own way and they have truth in every single religion. That's like a core teaching of the apostasy in the first place. Yeah. Those people are holding on to truth. So yeah, I just, so let's finish or, or let's let um, this build. All right. RFM. So that's, can I say a couple things? I know it's your show. You no, know, by all means, feel the free. first thing, the first thing about Cardin, when he opts for alien instead of cat at the very beginning, you remember that part? Yeah. Yeah. I think Cardin's still mad about the implants. So, but other than that, other than that, no, I, I'm genuinely confused because when they were playing the clip of you, what I understood you to be saying is talking about how other people and other religions uh, have spiritual experiences. I mean, I did I understand you correctly on that? Because I think I did. And then by the end of the clip, everybody's laughing at you as if you were saying that people in other faith traditions did not have spiritual experiences. I'm confused. Did you understand what was going on there? Maybe you can explain it to me. I do. So when I raise the idea that other people and other faiths are having spiritual experiences, and I'm making a certain kind of argument there, which we'll get into in a, in a little bit to kind of talk about and explain what the actual question is. This is the reason when, uh, when we say that apologists won't come on and they won't have a long-form conversation. It's because these issues are so messy and complicated that it really does take a lot of time and energy on any one issue. You know, again, Jim Bennett took seven episodes, and we could have gone twice as long. John DeLynn interviewed him for about the same amount of time. It could have gone twice as long. You guys did the interview with Robert Rittner, and it took almost as long to just dissect the book of Abraham by itself. These issues are messy. And when the apologists allow us uh, as critics of these issues uh, to pose the, you know, the full issue, uh, lay it out to help them understand where we came from in Mormonism, how we, uh, how we try to reconcile these issues. And then what the logical follow-up questions are, it ends up 
painting, I believe, the apologist into a corner. And the argument here is that when people have spiritual experiences outside of Mormonism, that is just as deep and meaningful. It gives them certainty about their religious systems. We have to confront why we get to dismiss their answers and why we get to accept ours. Um, I want to line this out a little bit by talking about a straw man. And uh, I'll just read what Wikipedia says. Wikipedia says a straw man, sometimes spelled straw space man, which is the proper way. Sometimes it's together. Straw man is a form of argument and an informal fallacy of having the impression of refuting an argument, whereas the real subject of the argument was not addressed or refuted. In this instance, I'm trying to get them to wrestle with the fact that people outside of Mormonism have deep spiritual experiences that tell them the truth of their faith system. And what they want to do is claim that I'm arguing that just the fact that people outside the church have spiritual experiences means Mormonism isn't true. Hence, they can then come in and say, that's BS. Mormonism has always taught that people outside of Mormonism have spiritual experiences. And hence, Bill Reels just you know doesn't know his stuff. And um, back here to a, a straw man, the typical straw man argument creates the illusion of having completely refuted or defeated an opponent's proposition through the covert plate replacement of it with a different proposition. And the subsequent refutation of that false argument, knocking down a straw man, instead of the opponent's proposition. Straw man arguments have been used throughout history in polemical debate, particularly regarding highly charged emotional subjects. Now, a straw man can be created for two reasons, RFM, which is one is that these people, you know, Midnight Mormons, uh, Cardinalis, Brad Whitbeck, Kwaku, they could have just misunderstood my position. And that's certainly um, possible. The other reason people create straw mans is because they really don't want to deal with the actual argument. It would be too difficult to handle. And they would rather set up a straw man so that it looks like they defeated it, defeated the proposition, but in reality just created a secondary argument that had nothing to do with what the original person was saying, a.k.a. me. And um, I wanted to at least start off by showing a couple things here. This is a, uh, a post I wrote back in 2016 where I talk at length about how people inside and outside the church are called of God, have the, have the spirit, have spiritual experiences. But even bigger than that, if anybody were to go back to episode 238 of Mormon Discussion, the Holy Ghost Conundrum, you'll see that I lay out the very position that they're arguing for, which is I'm telling the church that everybody inside and outside of Mormonism has spiritual experiences. It's within our theology, and we need to make room for our accepting that people do have very deep, meaningful experiences outside Mormonism, honoring that there are places in Mormonism where that is taught, but that is a completely secondary argument to what I actually was trying to say in that episode with our original interview with Kwaku, and in what they are doing is creating a straw man, even though they're saying that we did. They're creating a straw man, um, which we'll kind of talk about here at length. But I want to at least know, one of the places you can go online, RFM, is if it's a fascinating debate, is uh, Sam Harris versus Jordan Peterson. It takes uh, place in Vancouver, Canada. And these two men both hold very opposite positions in terms of religion, its usefulness, um, why we have the myth stories we do within religion. and But they are both respect each other enough that when they get into a debate, they are very particular to be sure that they're steel manning each other. And whereas a straw man is creating a false argument 
that the original person never really made, but it allows you to defeat it easily. Steel manning somebody is to restate their position until they're happy that you restated it correctly. And if you really want to get to the bottom of a disagreement, at least being able to both pose your side of the argument and be able to share your supporting evidence for that argument, and you really do value the truth rather than just beating somebody, then steel manning someone is always going to be a more effective position. And I apologize, folks. Uh, It'll be difficult tonight to put a lot of the comments up. I will try to do some of that when RFM is talking. But because I plotted all this out, I don't have the uh, I don't have the the multitasking ability to do all of that. So uh, just to note that I, I have talked at length about how Mormonism accepts, recognizes, and validates that people outside the church have spiritual experiences. Um, I want to at least note a steel man. Steel man argument is the exact opposite of a straw man argument. The idea is to help one's opponent to construct the strongest form of their argument. This may involve removing flawed assumptions that could be easily refuted. For example, so that one produces the best argument for the core of one's opponent's position. Uh, and we talked about why steel manning. It just becomes obvious that when you really want to get to the truth of something, you need to represent your interlocutor or opponent in a debate fairly. And you need to tackle the actual positions that he is making rather than create a false argument. Right. Because otherwise, really, all you're doing is just talking past each other. Yeah, you're just making up things that aren't real. And so the debate really isn't happening on the substance of what either person believes if you're both doing that to each other. Right. Yeah. Um, Let me talk for a moment about uh, the actual, uh, the straw man that they made, which we listed up here, the two things. But now let's talk about the actual argument I was trying to make, which is uh, the actual argument is whether Mormonism allows contradicting and opposed spiritual experiences, not whether it allows spiritual experiences generally, it sure as hell does. But what Mormonism doesn't know what to do with is with spiritual experiences that tell somebody outside of our faith system the truth of their faith system to them. So if a Jehovah's Witness or a Scientologist or a, a person follower, of Judaism, a follower of Denver Snuffer, follower of Denver Snuffer or a member of the FLDS faith, if they have spiritual experiences that tell them that their faith system is true, What do we do with that? And so, for example, if one seeks confirmation that their faith and membership in the Jehovah's Witnesses is God's true faith and God's desire for them to be there in order to receive salvation, and they do so through prayer or sometimes happenstance, right? Some people get spiritual experiences without asking God. Um, But whether it happens through prayer or happenstance, uh, and they receive what they interpret as a spiritual answer. That spiritual experience comes with a similar magnitude, similar feelings, and conveys a similar confidence that imposes on them that the Jehovah's Witnesses as a faith system offering salvation is the one true path. How do we as Mormons make sense of their spiritual experiences? And those kinds of experiences are being had by members within every faith system. When that faith system's path to salvation uh, contradicts ours in terms of truth and being the one true way Uh, along with its having its own set of saving ordinances needed on the one true path of salvation. Um, Your thoughts there, like I I know I'm rambling a bunch. I want to try to lay this out as quickly as possible because we have a ton of material to cover. Any thoughts from you on the actual premise of my argument in terms of how we deal with spiritual experiences of other people outside of Mormonism? 
Yeah, I would say a few things. First off, uh, Mormonism, the entire missionary effort is based upon the premise that people who are not members can receive a spiritual witness. And usually it's of the Book of Mormon, and hopefully that will end up leading them to be baptized to become a member of the church. So the whole idea is that non-members can receive spiritual witnesses. In fact, they're expected to receive them, and hopefully they will and be baptized. Second thing is, in other churches, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, which you mentioned, um, they don't necessarily have, a, they don't have a separate book. I don't know that they pray about the Bible to know if it's true. But within the context of Jehovah's Witnesses, there's the idea of the 144,000 who are chosen by God to rule and reign over paradise earth, which is where all the other good Jehovah's Witnesses will live forever. Part of Jehovah's Witness theology is that the way you know if you're one of that elect 144,000 is through a spiritual witness to you from God that you have been selected for that. That's the only way it's done. It's not chosen by anybody above you in the hierarchy. It's something that's personal to you. And I cannot help but think that if I am a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I receive that confirmation that I'm one of the 144,000, that that would not also simultaneously be a confirmation to me that the Jehovah's Witness religion is the true religion as it claims to be. Yeah. And um, every faith that is a high demand fundamentalist religion that claims it has a unique and perhaps the only true path to salvation will often have some sort of litmus test for how to know that that church is true. Uh, we'll get to later whether other churches ask uh, specifically for people to pray to know if they're true. But what happens is when you say like, hey, how do I deal with people's experiences outside of Mormonism when their experiences tell them that their faith system is true? And what we run into is that we've got church leaders in multiple occasions saying essentially it needs to be in line with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints it needs to have you being obedient to the leaders of this system. It has to have you being faithful to this system. It can't have you accepting any uh, contradictory wisdom or contradictory faith system or contradictory saving rituals in some other faith to the point where Elder Oaks is asked this. Uh, this was back in 2017. Um, and I, this is the question here. Okay, so her question was, how can I differentiate between the Holy Ghost and my own thoughts and feelings? This is a question we wrestle with all All right, so I'm going to pause. Uh, that's kind of messing up It's here. well to remember that. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because um, I think it's Elder. Is this the one with Elder Ballard, right? So Elder Ballard talks for a moment. Elder Oaks goes first. He talks for a moment. Elder Ballard talks for a moment. But the soundbite I want is at 1843. You're welcome to go listen to it in context. I'm not, I don't think I'm taking anything out of context. But here's Elder Oaks's last statement on this. Sure, and building on that, uh, if we get an impression contrary to the scriptures, to the commandments of God, to the teachings of his leaders, then we know that it can't be coming from, from the Holy Ghost. The, the gospel is consistent throughout. I had an experience once with uh, some members who sought my counsel uh, in this circumstance. They said... Our parents have told us that they've gotten a revelation that they don't need to pay tithing and they don't need to attend church anymore. What do you think of that? And I said, well, I don't question your parents' revelation, but they got it from the wrong source. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you what do you think there? Like, isn't that a consistent message in Mormonism? If you ever learn that something else is true and that true thing is contradictory 
to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its teachings and its path to salvation, then it isn't coming from Heavenly Father. Right. It can't be from their point of view. And what we see is that this idea of allowing the members to have personal revelation is a dangerous game, but it's one that the LDS Church is committed to because it's in the Book of Mormon, Moroni chapter 10, right? And a bunch of other places. It's the, the first vision account as well. I think probably pretty much any of them has to do with going to God and asking, well, at least after 1832, asking which church is true and God appearing and answering. So there's only three possibilities here to explain spiritual experiences. I like to break it down to the three possibilities because it helps me understand better what's going on. The first one is it's from God. Okay. Second one is it's from another, let's say God or somebody aligned with God, like the Holy Ghost. Okay. Second, it's from an outside source that is not aligned with God, which would usually be referred to as Satan. And the third possibility is it's not coming from outside at all. It's coming from inside. It's our own emotions. It's our own feelings. It's our own thoughts. And maybe we have trouble figuring out whether it's from God or whether it's ourselves or whether it's the devil. And this is why this question comes up in every freaking young single adult devotional where they let anybody ask questions. This question always comes up and we'll see it in a number of other places. I had wanted to, if it's okay with you, go to that um, Boyd K. Packer talk from 1982, The Candle of the Lord, Yeah, because he mentions that in there. I don't know that this will be a huge surprise to any members of the church or people who have been members of the church for any period of time. But what he says there, um, The Candle of the Lord. June 25th, 1982. Let me scroll down. Um, oh, by the way, this is the talk where he starts off using the famous salt metaphor for a testimony. I can't tell you what salt tastes like, but uh, I know it when I taste it. That thing. Remember, pretty much everybody's heard that, I think. He also goes on later on in the same talk and gives the very famous quote about that um, a testimony is to be found in the bearing of it. Remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. If you keep repeating something long enough, you'll believe it. Yes. And then he talks about, we can be deceived. So you can be given false spiritual messages. This is what Boyd K. Packer said. You can be given false spiritual messages. There are counterfeit spirits, just as there are counterfeit angels. Be careful, lest you be deceived, for the devil may come disguised as an angel of light. So there's the idea of it could be from God. Uh, be careful, it could be coming from Satan. And then he talks also about it could be coming from inside, where he says the spiritual part of us and the emotional part of us are so closely linked that it is possible to mistake an emotional impulse for something spiritual. We occasionally find people who receive what they assume to be spiritual promptings from God when those promptings are either centered in the emotions inside or are from the adversary outside, but not from God. So there it's all covered in that talk. You have the three possibilities of where these spiritual experiences and revelation are coming from. Yeah. And it seems as though we can go into a couple of these videos, but it seems as though, let me say two things. One is that all throughout our curriculum, I've got a, a quote here from uh, be not deceived. This was Elder uh, Uchtdorf. Uh, here are some ways the devil will try to deceive us. God's commandments in the teachings of his prophets warn against each of them. One kind of deception seeks to mislead us about whom we should follow. And speaking of the last days, the Savior taught, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and ye shall, and shall deceive many. 
In other words, many will seek to deceive us by saying that they or their teachings will save us. So there is no need for a savior or his gospel. The Book of Mormon describes this as the power of the devil to lead away and deceive the hearts of the people. Um, chapter uh, 19 uh, of the Doctrine and Covenants in the Student uh, Manual, 2017. Be ever on guard, lest ye be deceived by inspiration from an unworthy source. I think that comes from part of what you're saying here. You can be given false spiritual messages. There are counterfeit spirits, just as there are counterfeit angels. Um, in the missionary, uh, see, preach my gospel. Uh, there is the power of the Holy Ghost, the witness that comes to sincere seekers of truth before baptism comes through the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Ghost can come upon one before baptism and is the convincing witness that the gospel is true. By the power of the Holy Ghost, one receives a testimony of Jesus Christ and of his work and of his servants upon the earth. Uh, so there's this teaching throughout Mormonism, both that the Holy Ghost will lead you to Mormonism and will lead you to understand the truth of those things, and that when you get answers from anywhere else about anything else uh, that contradicts that, that message in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, you're likely off track, to the point where we pulled up a couple of uh, videos, as well as, I believe, a text hey, Bill, uh, document. Yes. Before we get to the videos, please. before we get too far from the candle of the Lord, is it okay if I sing a little bit? I'd love it. I, we'd love to hear you sing, my friend. Everybody's going, no, don't, please. <laughs> no, no, I think for cheering you on. Well, it's Elder Boyd K. Packer, The Candle of the Lord. The title of his talk from 1982 reminded me of an Elton John song. I think it went a little something like this. Oh, it seems to me you lived your life like the candle of the Lord, watching every session of general conference, even though you were bored. I would have liked to have believed you like when I was just a kid. Your teachings ran out long before my conscience ever did. I like that verse. There you go. I love okay. it. So anyway, I just thought I'd break things up a little bit so that we have hopefully a little entertainment here before we get to the video. By the way, Bill. Yes. We're talking about now what it is that is taught to the members of the church. Right. right. When we're talking or when leaders are talking about people who are not members of the church, who are receiving spiritual experiences, my my experience in the church has been that this is a difficult issue, okay? Because we're fine with our spiritual experiences being testimonies that the LDS church is true because it's the one and only true and living, right? Right. But what do we do when people who are outside the church have a spiritual experience? Not an investigator reading the Book of Mormon, but somebody who's in another faith tradition that they're interpreting as meaning that their faith, which is different from our faith, is the true faith. That's the difficulty. And the first go-tos, by the way, it's the three same three possibilities, right? It's from God, it's from Satan, they're, they're making it up. It's coming from inside. They're confusing their emotions. Well, the first two that are the most appealing to go to for non-members are it's Satan, because Satan's the one who's trying to deceive them and keep them from joining the LDS church. What better way than to give them an impression as if from God that their non-LDS faith is the true faith. Right. Or their FLDS faith is the true faith. Right. And the other one is, oh, they're making it up. They're just sort of uh, imagining it. It's wishful thinking. L talking about those two for just a second. Um, if you start playing this out, instead of doing a thought stopping um, exercise, like I think the Midnight Mormons were doing in response yeah. to your question, yeah. if you play that out, that's when things start getting dangerous. All right. That's why it's better to stop there and not move in the chess game one or two steps further, because that's when you start running into brick walls and you back up and you go a different path. Uh oh, another brick wall, back up another path, another brick wall. So that's what I think we're going to talk about tonight is some of those paths. So the first problem with that is 
if we say that somebody outside the church who receives a spiritual manifestation or confirmation or testimony or whatever you want to call it, that their church is true, if that's coming from Satan, on what rational basis are we able to say that theirs is from Satan, but ours is not? Right. See, then you start getting into this difficult uh, situation where there's really no rational, logical basis to make that distinction because either is equally as likely. If you also go to, well, they're making it up. It's their imagination. It's wishful thinking. It's um, uh, confirmation bias, right? Well, if we do that and if we have a little bit of introspection, is it just possible that that's what we're doing, that we're doing a confirmation bias, that it's wishful thinking on the Latter-day Saints part when they get a spiritual witness that they believe is from God. Because what's good for the goose here is good for the gander. And once again, there's no rational basis to distinguish between the two. So that's the first problem. So we've got to back up. Let's go down this other path. Let's say it's from God. All right. And that's where you were before. Let's say it's from God that a non-member is getting a, a spiritual manifestation within their own faith tradition. Well, now that raises problem because why is God giving them a confirmation that their faith is true? when that confirmation is going to prevent them from investigating and joining the LDS church. That's the real problem. And it seems to me that the way that this is generally tried to be circumvented within Mormon thought among those who will follow it out to its logical conclusions is that if it's from God to another person outside the faith, that God will give them spiritual manifestations and revelations, but only to the point and for the purpose of leading them to the LDS church. Have you ever heard that before? You're probably muted now, but I expect you've heard that yeah. before. I, I haven't. I wanted to add something, which is, you know, they they could impose that the Holy Ghost motivates people to make positive changes in their life, right? Like that it's that it's an unfortunate repercussion that those same people may inadvertently draw the con- connection or conclusion that it also means their faith system in which those changes are happening due to the promptings of the spirit, that that's the one true faith. In other words, like while investigating the seven day Adventist, one might be taught by the Holy ghost, good principles that cause that person to feel spiritual feelings, but which might be confused for conveying the truth of seventh day Adventism. But as you're pointing out, RFM rational thinking requires us to resolve why we would trust that their experiences feel valid to them, but is conveying false interpretations while ensuring our certainty about our experiences only conveyed true interpretation. In other words, how can you confidently assume your answers are true and their answers are not if the experiences are similar but contain contradictory answers, right? Right. And something that we indicated earlier but probably needs to be said explicitly is that the way that Elder Oaks was responding to that question in the video clip that you played is a a circular reasoning. which is that we're the ones who are giving you the truth as leaders of the church. Therefore, any revelation that you receive personally is strictly limited to confirming that what we're telling you is true. Anything else is by default false revelation. It's coming from the wrong source, whether that be the adversary or from inside of us. But it can't be from God if it contradicts the leaders of the church. So they have the king's X on that. Yeah, whatever... Whatever solution you come up with for why you get to dismiss them and you get to accept your answer, you're going to have to sit with why you do that, why you give the benefit of the doubt to your spiritual experience and why you go ahead and say like, well, whatever's going on there, whether it's 
the Holy Ghost teaching them a principle and they took the experience too far to mean something, whether it's the adversary, Satan himself, or whether it is just inside of them, why wouldn't you also apply that same kind of rational thinking to the experience that you had? And most Mormons go like, I don't know that. I don't know any of that. I just know what I felt. I know it was a real spiritual experience. I know the church is true, but you really do have to sit with the experience that the person across from you in some other faith system had. And you have to be able to come up with some type of rational, logical answer for why your answer is true and their answer isn't. Otherwise, you're just playing in the game that I said so. Right. And this is one of the reasons that the Paul H. Dunn episode was so devastating to so many Latter-day Saints, including myself, because I listened to his talks on cassette tape and loved them and felt the Holy Ghost spiritually confirming to me the truth of the stories that he was telling. And then decades later, I find out he was making them up. They didn't really happen. They were fabrications. So now I have to deal with, okay, I've had a spiritual experience that made up stories were true. What do I do with other spiritual manifestations and confirmations I've had that different aspects of Mormonism are true, including the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith's first vision, and whatever else I may have received a spiritual witness of. And this has happened a ton recently, too. You and I tackled uh, President Nelson's plane story, mm-hmm. which has been made into videos and talks, been put into books. Um, and you know there are people out there, I'm sure, who felt the Holy Ghost when they watched that YouTube video. Uh, Elder Holland, we talked about this a few weeks ago, kind of in line with that. When Elder Holland told the story that had been repeated for about a decade, Uh, about the missionary who went off into another uh, state and met his brother who he didn't know was his brother and California happened to be teaching him. Uh, You know, the dogs changed from Wattweilers to pincers to, you know, whatever else it was, but eventually he had to pull the story. Uh, The Deseret news had to to issue a retraction and uh, the story got pulled because it simply wasn't true. But it seems as though even inside Mormonism, there seems to be no real way to to figure out like which of my feelings about these teachings, for instance, you, um, Adam God, uh, there's a quote from Brigham Young where Brigham talks about how he knew by the Holy Spirit that the Adam God doctrine was true. And then there's also a quote where Brigham Young tells us that all the members, the majority of members knew the Adam God doctrine was true. And then you've got Bruce R. McConkie and Spencer D. McKimball saying, no, it's not. And People on both sides of that have felt the Holy Ghost confirmed to them that one side or the other is true. So even in Mormonism, it seems like there's no real way to know whether an experience is from God or whether it's inside you or from some other negative source, which leads us to these three instances where the brethren obviously get this question quite a bit and are trying to help members figure it out. But they don't really have any better answer than what we're, what we're saying here. Right. And from the data that we have just talked about with Paul H. Dunn, people outside the church receiving spiritual experiences, the Adam-God theory, all the things that we've talked about in the last 10 minutes, the one thing we can conclude from this, okay, the one thing I can conclude from this is that spiritual witnesses are not a good basis for determining truth. No. Do you want to, let's play a couple of these videos. Yeah. So this is the first one. Let me uh, make this big. All right, please state your name and your question. I'm from Springs Ward. My question is, how can we distinguish between the Holy Ghost and other emotions or feelings we may have and or for and mistaking it for the Holy Ghost? Well, I work on that one all yeah. the time, we've don't ta- you? You and I have talked we, about we've that. We've talked about that. My- Let me just say, they work on it all the time. They don't, they aren't exactly sure like how they, this is a constant problem for them. 
And these are apostles, people who are sustained as prophets, seers, and revelators. By the way, I love this part. If I can just give a little foreshadowing because President, I think it's just Elder Iring. It was oh, President Iring at the time. He's yeah, doing this. They, yeah, people need to know what you're about to say. Go ahead. Yeah, President Iring. Okay, he's going to be grabbing onto Elder Holland's forearm, and I can just sense, don't touch me. I don't want to be touched. See if you get that vibe. But also, but also, what's going on is that President Iron goes first, and he's just talking about, oh, well, if you feel peace, right? And he'll go on and on, but that's his point, peace. And you, I can just see Elder Holland. He's not looking at him. He's looking down at the ground, and he's thinking, you're screwing this up. You're screwing this up, Hank. Don't screw this up. And he waits until he's done, and then he corrects him under the guise of adding to what he said. And Elder Holland says, it's not just peace, baby. You've got to have a confirmation or spiritual witness that lines up with what we teach you. That's the important thing for Elder Holland. Play the tape. My feeling is this. Uh, It is hard. Let's be honest with you. It is hard because we all have wants and we have feelings, and uh, we sometimes... uh, then are thinking more of our own feelings and not trying to find out, is this a feeling that I'm getting from the Holy Ghost? My little way of knowing is this, and it'd be interested to hear your view on the thing. Uh, I found that I do best in, in discerning that it's not just my want, when in fact I feel a feeling of peace. There is, a, a, when the Savior said, my peace I give you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. I'm sure that had many meetings, but for me, it's the feeling of when I'm wrestling with something and I go to the scriptures and I I get a feeling or, or I hear someone like you or someone else at one of the, the Lord's anointed talking. Don't touch me. Don't if, touch I, me. if I hear it and I get a feeling, not just it's true, but a, a sweet feeling of peace, uh, that to me is... Uh, uh, you know, very, very often, for instance, I'll have things where I'm praying over and I have feelings of uh, n- not peace. Uh, and and uh, whatever I, that word is, large, uh, there is a feeling of comfort and, and peace that comes. And if that's not there, then it's probably something else. Some other. Uh, I'd agree. I'd, I think that's an maybe the pivotal uh, anchor point, I think, for that for that formula. I would add to that, which seems to me to flow from it, and that is it would have to be pretty consistent with other revelations the Lord has given. That's why he's given us scripture. That's why he's given us leaders. That's why he's given us parents. We've got a way to kind of test our impressions, test our revelation, and it uh, it can be unique. It can be as personal as, as, as our personal relationship with him, but it probably better fit with the other things he said and the other revelations he would have given. And we'd be a little cautious if it didn't, because I don't think you'd be very peaceful if you seem to be going against uh, yeah. virtually every other commandment he might yeah, have think, given. I, I think your point's a wonderful one. Probably the peace comes because it seems consistent with other things that you've been told, either in the scriptures or from prof- living prophets. Yeah. Uh, if, if it's not consistent there, you won't feel the peace. Exactly. Uh, I think so. I think those fit together. I'd also say to our... Do we need to go any further? Is there another part of this that we need no, to... No, I think that's okay. Elder Holland has successfully gotten President Iring back on the reservation. Yeah, yeah. It... Um, you notice, you notice there that uh, at the end of the day, it really does have to line up with LDS version of Mormonism. It has to line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And is they're pointing to, more specifically, Elder Holland over Elder Iring, but what they're pointing to is that it needs to mesh with the church. And 
it, the peace, he says, comes from the consistency of meshing with, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any thoughts from you on this one before we go to the next one? Is your next one, um, what's your next one? We can use Elder Bednar. Okay, because I wanted to make a couple of points here. Um, we're we're going to be going around a little bit. We'll be resembling President Iring in our presentation. A little bit, but, yeah. But I've got Bill here to be Elder Holland to my President Iring and keep me on track. Or vice okay, so, so here's the thing. The thing is this, is that there's two things that are going on from the church's point of view as far as personal revelation goes. The first thing is we've got to constrain it so nobody thinks they're getting a revelation from God that contradicts us because that's not happening. God's not going to give you a revelation that is not consistent to use their words with us. It's not going to give you a feeling of not peace, so to speak. Right. The second thing that's going on though, is that um, revelation is received by basically nobody in the church. Now that's a broad claim and I shouldn't be making it so broadly because I consider myself to be one who has, but I thought that everybody received it the way I did. But after 40 plus years in the church and being observant, I started realizing, wait, I think I'm not the rule here. I think I'm kind of the exception. So I would say, I don't know how many, but I would say a minority of members of the church have revelation or what they would consider to be a spiritual experience confirming the church is true. And it is so small, so tiny, so easy to be confused with our own personal feelings that this subject and this question arises at every um, devotional. And we even have another example of it later on. And that'll be Elder Holland again, I think, in a more recent one from March of this year. Yeah. But the thing that struck me, I think it was just yesterday in preparing for this, is that this issue about distinguishing spiritual experiences, true spiritual experiences from ones that are not true, is the same issue as was had in Joseph Smith's day, only it's completely different the way it's addressed. In Joseph Smith's day, they weren't talking about trying to distinguish an impression from the still small voice from your personal feelings. It wasn't that way at all. Instead, everybody in their dog is receiving visions and visitations from angels in Joseph Smith's day. And there's tons of examples. And his job is, try is trying to help people distinguish between the true visitations from angels from God and the fake visitations from angels of the devil. So that's what's going on in his day. We're, we remember Hiram Page's peepstone. Hiram Page has got a peepstone. Joseph's got a peepstone, except when Joseph has it, it's a seer stone, right? My stone is a seer stone. Your stone is a peepstone, Hiram. But um, so he's receiving revelations through his peepstone. And by the way, I'm just going to say it here parenthetically, that even though the revelation doesn't say exactly what revelation Hiram Page was receiving through the peepstone, I think it's suggested by the the um, the text itself of the revelation that what he was receiving was the location of the city of Zion. That's really neither here nor there. I just want to throw it out there because it's something that occurred to me a while back as I was looking at it and I haven't had a place to say it anywhere else. Also, people come to Joseph Smith and say, hey, I saw this angel. This angel appeared to me and told me this great message from God. And Joseph Smith asked for a description of the angel. And the guy says, hey, well, he had sandy colored hair. And Joseph Smith says, uh-uh, that's not an angel from God because... Sandy colored hair, right? All of God's angels have white hair. No sandy colored hair in heaven. That's from Satan. And he did a similar thing. It might've been the same instance, but uh, also having a person describe what clothing an angel was wearing. And Joseph Smith says, well, there is no such clothing in heaven. So that's a false angel. See, that's how he would do it. And you've got all these things that are happening, even the charismatic manifestations in Kirtland, Ohio, which Joseph Smith had to put down 
And it even made it in section 129 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which I'm not going to go through here, but I'll just read the, the opening uh, introduction. And I think everybody will remember it. Instructions given by Joseph Smith, the prophet at Nauvoo, Illinois, February 9th, 1843. So this is a year before he's uh, murdered pretty late on in his ministry, making known three grand keys for what? By which the correct nature of ministering angels and spirits may be distinguished. So that's what's going on in Joseph Smith's day. But nowadays, the issue about distinguishing true revelation from God versus false revelation is the reverse. Today, leaders have to help members try to figure out whether what they are feeling or thinking is their own thoughts or feelings or revelation from God. The church has, over the time period since Joseph Smith, the church has systematically silenced God. They refer to his method of revelation as a still small voice. Now, that's from 1 Kings in the Old Testament, but you'd think it was all over the scriptures the way they, they talk about it. Yeah. Because it's always, always, always the still small voice. We could talk a little bit about why it is that Elijah is portrayed as having this revelation in a still small voice. I've done this elsewhere. We won't talk about that now. We don't need to go down that rabbit trail. But church leaders have made the voice of God so still and so small that it has become indistinguishable from our own thoughts and feelings. And that's why this question comes up at every youth devotional. That's why everybody's confused about it. That's why President Irie even says that's something we struggle with our whole life. And he says it's a hard thing. Well, if the apostles of Jesus Christ are saying that it's a hard thing for them to distinguish between revelation from God and their own thoughts and feelings. And then President Irene goes to, well, it makes you feel peaceful. And then uh, Elder Holland has to run in and say, yeah, it makes you feel peaceful because it coincides with what the leaders of the church are telling you, then you know you've got a problem and that there is no good way that the leaders of the church are explaining to the youth as to a real concrete, effective way of telling the difference. Yeah, you you make note in multiple issues. I know that we said this in regards to the book of Abraham, but you've made the point that the church takes every time there's a controversial issue over time, it walks that back that issue back to the point where it's indiscernible from a fraud. And in the same way, they're doing the same thing here, not necessarily a fraud, but they are making it indiscernible. The Holy Ghost is so still, he is so small that the only way you really can know that you're hearing him is if you if your answers are coinciding with what we teach. And uh, it really the difference between it being your own thoughts inside your head, versus being a spiritual, uh, a legitimate spiritual experience really is not able to be discerned, right? It is indiscernible. No. And if we, if we just shifted the shoe to the other foot and say, we're talking about Jehovah's witnesses and let's say their leaders said the same thing as our leaders are saying, yeah, is that it's so still, it's so small. It's really hard. You know, I've worked on it my whole life, but basically any revelation from God is going to line up with what we, as the, uh, the governing body, in the Jehovah's Witnesses at Bethel, Brooklyn, that what we teach you, and if you get a revelation from God that's different from what we teach you, then you can know that it's not coming from God, it's coming from the wrong source. If we heard anybody in any other religion say that, what would your reaction be, Bill? Every believing Mormon would go, that's BS. Right, exactly. And so that's the problem when you start considering it and thinking, wait a second, is what I'm condemning in another religion exactly what I'm believing in mine? Right. And to the point where just in this last year, two different apostles have addressed this issue. Why don't you tell us about Elder Bednar uh, and lead us off with that one? 
Okay, and then we're going to go to uh, the uh, yep, the clip with Elder Holland. Holland. Yep. Okay, great. Well, Elder Bednar wrote a book. Um, do you have a picture of Elder Bednar there? I think there's a picture of him. Yeah. There he is right there. That's actually a good picture of him. I saw a picture of him when he was a kid baptizing his dad. He looked basically the same. He's got these eyes. They're like Charlie Manson eyes. You know what I'm talking about? I've, They're I've beady. Seen, I've seen Manson's eyes, yeah. They're cold-blooded. It's like, you know, uh, black eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah, a doll's eyes. And um, that reminds me of another song from the 80s. I think it's something about, like, um, oh, Elder Bednar. He's got Charlie Manson eyes. Remember that song? <laughs> no, I don't. You don't remember that song? I, I think don't. it was Betty Davis. It was Betty Davis' eyes. That was the song. I have so, a lot of fascination with serial killers. Uh, it's something I was interested in reading about a lot in high school and young adulthood. And uh, uh, I forget what the name Mindhunters is the show on Netflix. I believe oh. it's Netflix or Hulu, where they talk about the FBI's early role with serial killers. And Charlie, there's a guy playing Charlie Manson in the movie or in the TV show. And his eyes are, you know, same. They found the perfect guy for it. All the pictures of Manson. You can just tell from the pictures the guy's not all there. No, Elder Bednar looks like a guy who would stab you in both eyes and then sit down and eat a hearty dinner. <laughs> I was reading something in the news where investigators think they finally identified the Zodiac Killer. Did you, uh, did you see I that? Not, but that would be very interesting because he has just, definitely been on the loose for a long time. Just put those 70s glasses from the witness sketches on the face of Elder Bednar. And I think you got a pretty close match. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yes. He wrote this book about why Elder Bednar says, is, is it any wonder his wife is terrified of it? Why Elder Bednar says you can learn to stop worrying whether or not you're receiving revelation. Now, here's the second part, right? Nobody's receiving revelation or basically uh, nobody can tell the difference, right? So they're always asking this question. So now, instead of just going, holy ghost, holy ghost, and uh, it has to agree with us, they're still doing that. But now they're starting to do this other thing and Elder Bednar's doing it and then we'll see Elder Oaks do it as well. But what Elder Bednar says is, hey, this is like swimming, okay? Receiving revelation is like swimming. And then he says, just as we can, and you've got it uh, highlighted there on the screen, thank you. Just as we can learn to quit worrying about how to swim, in other words, after you've learned and you're so good at it that you do it without thinking, right? We can come to a point where we stop worrying about whether or not we are receiving personal revelation. So notice the idea now is, Quit worrying about it, okay? Quit worrying about whether you're receiving personal revelation. It's now becoming something that they're trying to say is not really necessary, not really important for you to be able to distinguish. He goes on, some people spend a good deal of time fretting about a basic question. Was that revelation or just me? In essence, these individuals are flailing around in the beginning stages, trying to keep their heads above water. People can become so focused upon and preoccupied about, am I receiving revelation? Is this a re revelation? That it actually may hinder their ability to receive revelation. See what he's doing there. Then the next paragraph, and that's all we'll do from this article. Getting out of our own way, overruling our personal desires, expectations, preferences, and lack of understanding in order to hear and feel the voice of the Spirit is one of the great challenges of our mortal probation. But the task is not so much to persuade the Spirit to guide us as to recognize that He is and has been guiding us all along. Yeah. So as long as we're doing everything that we're supposed to do, everything the church leaders tell us to do, and it's a long list and we all know what it is, then we are like the fish or the swimmer in the water uh, who is so used to being in the water that he doesn't even recognize that he's in the water anymore. It becomes his or her environment. It's like the fish in the water, right? 
yeah. how does fishes just used to being in water because that's all they've ever lived and they swim in the water. And this is what Elder Bednar is likening the Holy Ghost to. It's with you all the time. You don't even recognize it. As long as you're doing everything you're supposed to do, you're swimming in it and it will continue to be with you as long as you continue to do everything you're supposed to do. Mm. And that takes us to this one with Elder Holland. Uh, I think you're the one who pointed this one out, but watch Elder Holland's words. I am actually a little surprised he went this far uh, saying this. A question uh, that's very much related in the same same category. Uh, how do I know the Lord is talking to me and not this is not just wishful thinking, which is a kind of a variation on the same question. And let me just respond to that because I've done a lot of these and it's amazing to me how often that question comes up. Am I, am I following the Lord or, or Can you stop it, for just a second, Bill? And, and uh, I apologize, but I just want to underscore the fact that this always comes up. Like he's saying it, how often it comes up. I want to say that the reason it comes up all the time is I think obvious because the leaders have done an absolutely abominable job of teaching how to distinguish between your own feelings and the Holy Ghost. Which wouldn't be necessary if the Holy Ghost actually was convincing, right? If the Holy Ghost could come in and go, hey, I'm the Holy Ghost. You know me from everything else. Ta-da, here I am. Uh, you know, stage time. Uh, instead, the question keeps going, as you point out, because every way in which we think we know that the Holy Ghost is there it also could be easily explained as elevation emotion. It could be easily explained as our own thoughts and desires. It could be easily explained as uh, brain uh, waves and things going on inside the head. Um, there's no way inside Mormonism, unless you have an angel come down and talk to you directly, and even that has to have a handshake to test it, right? So even, even in those instances, and most members of the church are referring to a burning in the bosom or I felt peace or the hair stood up on the back of my neck or I got chills down my arms. I felt, a, I felt I, a thrill up my leg. I felt a thrill up my leg. Um, it is in I don't know if that's from a movie or something. No, I think it was uh, Chris Matthews rest his soul when uh, uh, Obama got elected president or something. I know that anytime you say something and I don't know where it goes to <laughs> movie or literature reference. <laughs> What, what they're acknowledging is that most members of the church just go on feelings and feelings are just feelings. And, and there's really not any way to know the Holy Ghost from any other kind of feeling to the point where they say what he's about to say. Uh, and and, uh, and I, I don't want to be simplistic about this, but I do want to say this, that look, if you're living the gospel— and you're trying the best you can to be honest and to pray and and to want the Spirit of the Lord with you, there isn't going to be much difference between, I don't know how you'd make a distinction between, well, this is the part the Lord's telling me, and this is the part I feel or want. The, the harder you try and the closer you come and the better you live the gospel, the more you're going you're gonna to have the Spirit the way uh, that Bishop Kose mentioned, and the, and the, uh, the others have, have filled in. I, I look. Don't just don't get heartburn about this. Don't hyperventilate uh, uh, and and be immobilized about. Well, gosh, dare I think this is my own thought? Well, your own thoughts are wonderful. Your own thoughts are terrific if you're working at it this and you're trying. And those thoughts uh, will be ultimately prompted by the Spirit. And I don't don't waste a lot of time trying to make a distinction here now do we need to play more of it you think 
Um, I think that's probably plenty. Yes, I think that's plenty. He acknowledges that there's just you're just not going to really be able to discern the difference between your own thoughts and your own feelings in the Holy Ghost. And essentially, he's backing up everything else that we've read, which is the only way you're going to know is if your answers mesh with what we're doing here inside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. They have gotten this question so many times and done such a bad job of distinguishing it. Well, they've created this problem because they've dumbed it down to the point where you can't tell the difference between your own thoughts and feelings. And they have been not ambushed, but um, uh, repeatedly asked this question to the point where now first Elder Bednar and now Elder Holland in the mouths of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. They are just bailing on the whole idea of being able to distinguish it all. They're giving it up and just saying it doesn't make any difference as long as you're following the LDS Church's teachings. There's not a dime's worth of difference between your thoughts and the Holy Ghost revelation. So quit worrying about it. Don't get heartburned about it. Just keep being faithful. Yeah. So I put the quote back up here. Elder Oaks, if we get an impression contrary to the scriptures, to the commandments of God, to the teachings of his leaders, that's Mormon leaders inside the LDS variation of Mormonism only, then we know that it can't be coming from the Holy Ghost. The gospel is consistent throughout. Now, I've heard the argument, RFM, apologists may make the argument that Elder Oaks is only talking to members of the church on the inside. He's not speaking to everybody else out in the world. And and the points we've raised stand on their own merit in terms of why we should uh, weigh, why we trust our feelings and experiences versus someone else's feelings and experiences. But do you have any thoughts on what you would say to somebody who— uh, would come back with the trying to reconcile all of this by saying Elder Oaks is only speaking to believing Mormons. Um, I don't know. It could be certainly interpreted that way because that is a context in which he's giving it. But it seems broader than that. I mean, is somebody really going to suggest that what Elder Oaks means is that even for people outside the church, if people outside the church within a different faith tradition get an impression that's contrary to the scriptures or to the commandments of God or contrary to the teachings of the leaders of the LDS church, then we know that it can't be coming from the Holy Ghost. Are they really going to say it is coming from the Holy Ghost if it's contrary to the leaders of the LDS church? Yeah, and that would also make, you know, when they say the gospel is consistent throughout, if God is giving all people all different kinds of answers, then I don't know how the hell we'd know anything. Yeah, and that line uh, gets filed under gaslighting. Yeah, the gospel yeah. is consistent throughout. If there's anything, the gospel of Jesus Christ as restored through Joseph Smith and tracked through today's date. Uh, by the way, October 6, 2021, if there's a word that doesn't describe the gospel, it's consistent. And if you don't believe that, read Charlie Harrell's This Is My Doctrine, and it will become crystal clear that even Jesus doesn't know how to stay consistent on what the church believes or doesn't. I mean, God gives a revelation in November of 2015 yeah. that the kids of, of gay people can't get baptized. And then he changes his mind three and a half years later. And then after all that's happened, Elder Oaks is really going to get up there and say the gospel is consistent throughout. I have to give him credit for being able to keep a straight face when saying things like that. That's not easy, you know. Yeah, I want to. It's going to take me a second, I think, to pull this up. But I, I wonder if, um, if you might be able to share your screen for a minute. Um, if you could pull um, up, maybe this might be too difficult. I mean, let's, let's not do that. Sorry. Let's out a different way. Um, the part in the beginning of the uh, Pearl of Great Price where Joseph Smith tells his own story. Uh, what is that called? Is it Joseph Smith's history? Yeah, Joseph Smith history. I always confuse that with history of the church, which is the sixth volume plus the index. Which is where this comes from at the very yeah. beginning. 
Yep. So as you and I were talking about, let me put this up here so that when I'm ready, I can put it up on the screen. Okay. Um, but you know, you and I talked about this idea that uh, it, it could be our own feelings and the brethren are basically saying like, yeah, it could be, it's kind of indiscernible, but as long as you're on the gospel path, we'll be fine. And then uh, any other answers that lead off the gospel path, they seem to be very clear that you're getting it from the wrong source. Now it could be your own feelings. It could be uh, Satan himself, but regardless, it certainly is not coming from heavenly father. When I posed this problem to fair Mormon years ago, uh, the thing they came back with was an answer I had not thought of, and it it was enough to kind of keep me content for about 37 seconds. But what they suggested was, uh, they argued that Mormonism is completely different from other faiths in that only Mormonism asks its adherents to pray and ask God directly in order to determine if Mormonism is true, and that no other faith system does that. Hence, spiritual answers to which church is true being answered by prayer within the context of Mormonism is solely unique to Mormonism. Have you ever heard that one before? Um, only because of you and yeah. the story that you tell. And we did talk about it on the phone. I think that's malarkey. And the reason I think it's malarkey is this. First off, even if, first off, they don't know it's true. Okay. They're making a the claim. They don't even know if it's true. I, I can't imagine they've gone through every single religion that's ever existed and gone through them and found out that they don't teach that. But the claim is necessary for them to make the argument. So they go ahead and make the argument. The second thing is, is that in other traditions, we talked about Jehovah's Witnesses, spiritual experience. They're not asking maybe if Jehovah's Witnesses are true, but getting the confirmation that you're one of the 144,000 within the uh, religion of the Jehovah's Witnesses is obviously a confirmation that Jehovah's Witnesses is the right religion. There was another thing that happened even in Episcopalian churches, okay, which traditionally aren't, don't uh, deal a lot in Revelation. There was a guy back in 1985, I worked at a bank and we were tellers and he was sitting next to me and his name was Robin Chiswell. I'll never forget him. He was a very, very funny guy, very dry sense of humor. I remember sometimes I'd wear a suit or a tie or a shirt, whatever, to the, the bank and he didn't like the way the, uh, the outfit fit together. Maybe it clashed a little bit. And instead of just saying, that clashes. He says, Radio Free Mormon. That's kind of how he talked. Radio Free Mormon. Is the light out in your closet? That's what he would say. So I remember Robin Chiswell, but he obviously knew I was a Mormon because I'm out there with the Mormon. I mean, Christmas of 1985, I gave a copy of the Book of Mormon inscribed, marked up, and highlighted to every single employee at the bank mm. that I worked with in this division. Just so you know. Okay. So everybody knows I'm a Mormon. And he's Episcopalian, or as he liked to put it, it's Chiswell, C-H-I-S-W-E-L-L. -L. Thank you, Elder Holland, Joffrey R. Holland, Chiswell. Anyway, he, um, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah, he was Episcopalian, or as he liked to say, Whiskeypalian. And he was at a service and he, uh, one week, and he comes back on Monday, and he says, Radio Free Mormon, I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit was there in that meeting, and you can't tell me any different. I know. I felt it. So even within that context... Uh, by the way, that really bugged me when he said that. That bugged me because I thought, no, nah, Spirit's not being in the Whiskey Pillion meetings. No, he's solely reserved for us. We got the exclusive rights and the trademark, by the way, on the Holy Ghost within the LDS Church. It bothered me. But it was a confirmation to him that the Episcopalian Church that he attended was approved of by God and therefore effectively kept him away from investigating Mormonism. And that's why it bugged me. Yeah. 
So this idea that no church other than Mormonism asks you to consider praying and asking God to know the truth of things, I went looking. Now, first off, there's the obvious one right in our face, which is, uh, as you pointed out, Denver Snuffer or the FLDS group, or Colorado City, or the True and Living Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Reorganized Church? I'm yeah. sure that they follow Moroni's promise too, right? At least at so one point. Yeah. Everything within the LDS family of offshoots has the same concept because it's from the Book of Mormon, which we all share. Yeah. And there seems to be some recognition from inside the church that of all of these options— you know, Bruce R. McConkie used to say that Catholicism was the great and abominable church. But I think if you were to talk to, you know, Mormon leaders today, it is these breakoffs that have a, a semblance, a resemblance of, of what we're doing here that we ought to be most wary of, right? Like they're not the true messengers. They, they are not, that's not where the, the saving ordinances are. That is so close. Remember, Satan works in half truths. They're it the counterfeit so religions. Right. Those are the counterfeit gospels, the counterfeit religions. But I went looking outside of Mormonism. We'll talk about the FLDS uh, in a moment when we show a video after phone calls. By the way, I want to just say, uh, everybody watching or listening, hang on through the phone calls. We normally end the show at that point. I've got a little two segments of a video I want to play um, that I think will be crucial to wrapping up um, our conclusion. But I went looking out for other churches. And it's honestly, RFM, it's pretty true. I found a website that asked you to pray about which church to join. And I found other high demand fundamentalist religions, such as Jehovah's Witnesses and their litmus tests for why their church is the one true church. But sadly enough, it didn't include prayer. So the apologists are right. There are very few religions, denominations, sects outside of Mormonism that ask you to pray about whether the church is true. So I, um, I, I love sex outside of Mormonism. By yeah, the way. So but amen, brother. Um, yeah, uh, but here's the trouble. It is true that religions outside of Mormonism are not asking you to pray about whether their church is true. The trouble is that Mormonism admits that this is a reasonable thing to come to on your own. And you don't really need a faith system to tell you to pray about it. So in Joseph Smith's history, we all know this, this story. Uh, while I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contest of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James, first chapter, fifth verse, which reads, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine, it seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act, I did not know. And unless I could get more wisdom than I then had, I would never know. For the teachers of religion of different sects understood the same past. By the way, that's a damn hard word to say, isn't it? I noticed you really pronounce the C and the T. I'm trying, man. Understood the same passage of scripture so differently as to destroy all confidence in settling the question by an appeal to the Bible. The Bible's not enough. James 1.5 is telling Joseph Smith he needs to do something more. Here's where it gets starts getting good. At length, I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness in, or in confusion or else I must do as James directs. That is, ask of God. I at length came to the determination to ask of God, concluding that if he gave wisdom to them that lacked wisdom and would give liberally and abradeth not, I might venture. So in accordance, and I'm going to skip ahead here to 18. You could probably quote this whole thing from memory. 
I can do the during this time of great excitement. My mind was called up to serious reflection. I can do that whole thing, um, but not this part. My object in going to inquire of the Lord, verse 18, was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. So which is true and which one I should join with, right? Both questions. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak than I asked the personages. Again, prior to those personages showing up, he read the scriptures and determined on his own through James 1.5 that he should go and ask God which church was true and which one was right for him to join. Um, I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right, for at this time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong and which I should join. Which is true and which I should join were two separate questions in Joseph Smith's mind. By the way, the 1832 account, if I remember right, he had already determined that all the churches weren't true, and he was then visited by Jesus only and given a, given a spiritual experience, right? One of the two good reasons that it got stuck in a safe for 30 years. With a lot, with a lot of other things, including a paperweight. Yes. <laughs> a seer stone paperweight. Yep. Um, and essentially there, I, we can end there, but then you've got the first vision taking place and Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ come in and tell them, by the way, I was answered that I must join none of them for they were all wrong. Why would God tell somebody else to join a church when it's wrong, but Joseph Smith is told not to join any of them because they're wrong? It seems like that would also be a contradictory message if an, if, if somebody got an impression or was told by a, a angelic minister that they should go ahead and join the wrong church. Well, all those churches in Joseph Smith's day and neighborhood must not have been having any spiritual manifestations to prove that they were correct. Isn't yeah, that right, maybe, Bill? Maybe it's just the neighborhood that this is happening in. By the way, you know that's tongue firmly in cheek because mm -hmm. they were having manifestations out the yin-yang. All over. There were lots of people having first visions. And a lot of them were being slain in the spirit and being laid out like they were dead and lying on the ground for a long period of time and then brought back and they were saved. Yeah. Which sounds kind of like a number of scenes in the Book of Mormon, but I digress. Yeah. Remember, he, he said you should join none of them. What's the reason? For they were all wrong. Right. That's the reason that Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father give young Joseph Smith in the Grove of Trees. So when we get to the video at the end of phone calls, uh, let's recognize that the question at hand, and I, I'll try to wrap this up maybe kind of with a conclusion. Let me grab my last page here so I make sure I word this right. Um, and while you're doing that, I yeah, also please. want to just go briefly through that 1978 first presidency statement that Kwaku L. mentioned. Oh, yeah, please. By all means, talk about that for a moment. Okay, because Kwaku talks about the that 1978 first presidency statement, which I looked up. And, of course, I knew about it. I mean, this happened. Uh, this was given the same year that I joined the church and only a few months before they received the revelation allowing black people to get the priesthood and go to the temple. But notice what they say in this, Okay. I'm going to go through. It's not that long. Based upon ancient and modern revelation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gladly teaches and declares the Christian doctrine that all men and women are brothers and sisters, not only by blood relationship from common mortal progenitors, but also as literal, literal spirit children of an eternal father. Okay, we're all brothers and sisters. The great religious leaders of the world, such as Muhammad, Confucius, and the Reformers, as well as philosophers, including Socrates, Plato, and others, received a portion of God's light. By the way, there are no popes mentioned in there. I think uh, Kwaku uh, said popes, but popes don't even get an honorable mention in this list. But it's Muhammad, it's Confucius, it's the reformers, as well as philosophers, Socrates, Plato, and others, received a portion of God's light. 
Now, they're very careful to distinguish this is not doctrinal. This is not doctrine. These are moral truths. In other words, uh, you know, don't hit people. Don't be a dick. Uh, try not to kill people if you can possibly avoid it. Yeah. So they go on and say, and others, and others received a portion of God's light, period. Then they want moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations. That's W-H-O-L-E, whole nations, and to bring a higher level of understanding to individuals. But this is just like through moral truths. This is the Code of Hammurabi. So the Hebrew prophets prepared the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, who should provide salvation for all mankind who believe in the gospel. So in other words, even if they're outside Christianity, okay, they're not getting the truth that's going to save them, okay? That's what that says. Consistent with these truths, we believe that God has given and will give to all peoples sufficient knowledge, pay attention now, sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal salvation. So there's the idea that any revelation that's coming from God outside the church is only being given as a stepping stone in order to lead those people to become Mormons. Right, right. Which only makes sense because Christianity is exclusive, but Mormonism is super exclusive within Christianity. Yeah, exaltation and salvation are found only within the LDS church. And I should probably say, well, I think salvation is probably, let's just stick with exaltation, okay, and make it clean. So uh, consistent with these truths, we believe that God has given and will give to all people sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal salvation, either in this life or the life to come. We also declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ restored to his church in our day provides the only way to a mortal life of happiness and a fullness of joy forever, right? That's why if you are not in the church, you are not happy, even if you are. And if you are in the church, you are not sad, even if you are. Yeah. For those who have not received this gospel, the opportunity will come to them in the life hereafter. If not in this life, there's the work for the dead. And uh, then there's a final um, paragraph that doesn't concern us, signed by Spencer Kimball in Eldon Tanner, Marion G. Romney. So when you actually take the time to look at the text of this first presidency statement, you start seeing exactly what it is they're saying. And what they are not saying is that there's an unrestrained uh, revelation outside the church to people doctrinally, right? doesn't exist, moral truths only, and any revelation that God is involved in giving to people outside the church is for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to get them into the Mormon church, the LDS church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. It seems rational that human beings all across time and space have arrived at the conclusion that they would need to ask God if their faith system is true or right or if they should join. And we have records of people, and we'll get to those after the phone calls, we have records of people who have done that very thing and believe they got answers from on high, arriving at the conclusion that a particular system with contradictory beliefs, contradictory doctrine, and contradictory saving rituals was, in fact, the true church. Some of them, even in our own backyard, talking about FLDS and the various breakoffs. So again, I ask apologists, if you're going to steel man my position, it's this. Once I understood that Mormonism's truth claims holding up, to me, inside my own head, are absurd in the face of the facts and historical context, why should I give preference to a spiritual experience inside Mormonism in light of people across most faith systems having said experiences, having experiences with a similar magnitude and arriving at a similar confidence at their experience telling them that their faith system is true, uh, perhaps in some instances for sure, the one true path? What makes the LDS Mormon variation of experiences more true 
That's the question. If you're going to steel man my position, what makes a Mormon uh, spiritual experience within the LDS variation of Mormonism count when every other spiritual experience that leads somebody to believe wholeheartedly in their faith system as the one true faith, um, what makes that one able to be dismissed out of hand? Bravo. Very well done, Bill. Any uh, any thoughts from you before we go to phone calls? Uh, no, but when you say steel manning your position, yes, that is the actual position and argument that you're making. And in order to respond to it effectively, honestly, and with integrity, you have to steel man it. And once you've got your position and your argument down, then you can go from there to respond to it. And I think that what we've done, or at least what we I've attempted to do in tonight's episode is show the different problems that arise as you go down different paths. And every path has a problem. And some of them are insurmountable, at least to my mind. Yeah, unless you are, at the end of the day, just going to give preference to your own experience. You know, that person's crazy and I'm sane. That person's deceived, but I know my experience came from God. But that's that's not a position you're going to win a debate with. That's just feelings inside. And that's just you deciding that your own view trumps the view of somebody else's that is similar, but is contradictory in position. It's like my dad used to say this old saying. He said, um, everyone, everyone in the world is insane except for me and thee. And sometimes I have my doubts about thee. <laughs> Amen. Uh, number tonight is going to be 435-200-3478 or 435-200-FIST. And I can't even put my fist inside the infinity gauntlet that I have on my t-shirt. Just thought I'd say something while we're waiting for the phone call to roll. Right. Yeah. Our first caller, <laughs> Will, you are our first caller tonight. You're on Mormonism Live. We're talking about spiritual experiences and whether those are sufficient enough to be able to invest all of your time, energy, and resources into building up the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Your thoughts? Um, first, uh, I'm a second-time caller, so this is awesome. Um, my question is, or is it, I guess, like, how do you rebuttal when every when I've talked to Mormons and say this exact thing that you know all churches say that they're true and they all have spiritual experiences that say that. How do you rebuttal when they say, well, all churches have truths. They're just getting answers about their truth and that their path will take them to Christ. Thank you. We'll address that off the air, off, off the call, I should say. Um, RFM, your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think that's, uh, if I were to add to that and say that their answers will take them to Mormonism, the Christ of Mormonism. Yeah, I think that is what I've encountered as well. The problem is, is that it has a really bad track record of working. Because when God is giving spiritual experiences to people in other faiths, generally what happens is it confirms them in their non-LDS faith and precludes them from investigating the LDS church. So if that's the plan, it doesn't seem to be well designed. Give me just one second, RFM. Okay, absolutely. Um, geez, well, I kind of ended that with a period. So what else could I say? I've actually gone through everything in the outline, pretty much said everything I've wanted to say at this point. And um, by the way, this is my fault for not being technologically savvy enough to be able to run the technology that Bill has to run while he's talking, even when it's his show. And we're going to try and work on that and see if I can get up to snuff and maybe do some of that, that technology stuff that Bill does. Yeah. I, I want to just know there, there's two things I would do with the last caller in terms of how I would handle it. One, and you're, and again, you're not going to make headway. You're not going to, hmm. with most believers, you're not going to win the debate with them because 
again, what's what's the old quote? You can't argue somebody uh, out of a position. Yeah, you can't rationally argue somebody out of a position that they didn't arrive at by rationality in the first place. Yeah. And so, but what I would do is I would attempt to show them two things. One is that inside the church, people and leaders, members and leaders have believed that they knew things to be true by the Holy Ghost that turned out to not be true based on the church's modern uh, stance on positions on issues and doctrines. Uh, and to show that essentially when you lay out race in the priesthood and issues around homosexuality that RFM, RFM and I did uh, about a month or a month and a half ago, um, uh, other things with the book of Abraham or DNA and, and some of the words that we had in our own scriptures about what those things meant, uh, the Adam-God doctrine we mentioned earlier, there are plenty of instances in Mormonism where members and leaders are on the record as having said they believe in these things through the Spirit only to have modern Mormonism uh, do a 180 on those things. And then the second thing I try to do is I go outside the church and do what I just did tonight, which is make the argument that there are people all across the world, every faith system that has spiritual components to it, uh, has members inside that faith system who believe through those spiritual components that they know that their faith system is true. And it goes so far as to be uh, Wiccans, um, uh, Scientologist, uh, even though they really don't have a God, right? Their theology is aliens and, and disembodied aliens, essentially, that are now spirits. Thetans in yeah. volcanoes or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So even in theologies that don't have a heavenly father or a being out there who's kind of watching over us and answering our prayers, they still feel these emotional components that lead them to know that their church is true. And by showing those two things, uh, you at least set up the ground where they have to hopefully think a little bit. Our second caller is Mahanri. I'm going to guess his last name is Maury Ankimer, but Mahanri, you are on the line uh, with RFM and Bill Real. We're talking about spiritual experiences. What do you think tonight, my friend? Wow, you got the last name correct. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm calling to uh, to encourage my brother, Jared, um, to, to call in. And I'm also curious, I mean, you know, Joseph Smith gave me this name way back in 1834, and I've had to live with it. And I, you know, to me, I got teased a lot in grade school and high school with the name Mahanrai. And, uh, you know, I was always jealous of my brother Jared, had a nice common name, didn't get teased. And But why didn't he have the same last name? Um, anyway, but I also, I really wanted to say, um, you know, speaking of Dallin Oaks, whatever, earlier in the, when he said, uh, if you get some a message, you know, I, I just still remember way back in high school, uh, track meet, we competed against a bunch of black guys. And on the bus ride home, I just had this quiet, peaceful feeling, a loving feeling um, about these guys. And uh, to me, that was my spiritual manifestation that was um, undermined, um, this is back in the 60s, back undermined by the message from the Mormon church. So, I and I hope, maybe I'm guilty of strawmanning Dallin Oaks, but I just want to say he is full of crap. Um, Thank anyway, you, that's all I say. Thank you. Um, but, so, wow. If, yeah. If, if Mahanra has if, if been around since 1834, I think maybe his other name is Kane. It, it does. I'm going to give me give me one second here. Let's. All right. So Bill is now screening the call. Um, 
he brings up the point, which is if we remember, go back to church history, I think it's 1948 and it's Dr. Lowry Nelson. Yeah. And Dr. Lowry Nelson is telling the brethren that he feels like this is an issue that they're going to have to change on. And they are adamant to him that this is the doctrine of the church that people of color can't have the priesthood. And they're telling him, you either keep your mouth shut or you're going to get yourself in trouble. Like, again, trying to say that we know by the spirit that this is what's true and this isn't what's true. LDS leaders all throughout time haven't even gotten gotten that right. right. Um, RFM. I was just going to throw in that I think that that uh, exchange of letters between Dr. Lowry Nelson and the first presidency in the late 1940s is probably what directly led to the 1949 first presidency statement saying that it was not a matter of policy, but it was a matter of doctrine that blacks could not receive the priesthood. That's right. Okay, we've got our next caller. His name is Graham. Graham, you're on Mormonism Live with RFM and Bill Real. We're talking well, tonight about how you can how you can evaluate spiritual experiences and how you know your Mormon ones are more true than everybody else's. Yes, I'm super glad you guys are bringing have brought up this subject. I think it deserves more attention. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's at the heart of Mormon epistemology, and it's it's a super significant. Um, topic, at least as significant as any of the other more sexy topics like uh, the Book of Abraham and such. And I think you've said most of the important things that I can think of to say. I'd like to add one thing, and that is that um, oftentimes when you have a conversation with a with a believing Mormon, the, uh, the spiritual experience is is uh, characterized as being in conflict with some of the uh, more objective uh, evidence and the problems, uh, again, such as the Book of Abraham. And um, and so they want to say, right, they require this conflict to defend the belief. They want to say that, um, that they choose to believe their spiritual experience over the objective evidence. But the problem with that what I would suggest to anyone I have a conversation uh, with in this regard is that you can make sense of both of them. There's no conflict, right? You can you can dissolve the conflict, and you guys have mentioned ways that you can do it. You can dissolve it by saying, well, it was a crafty devil that that gave you the spiritual experience, or it was, comes from yourself. There there are lots of ways of dissolving the conflict, and that's one thing I would add. But thank you very much. I'm super glad to have. Uh, have uh, have you guys call attention to this issue? Thank you, my friend. That was a great comment from Graham. Most often what I've seen uh, active members, and I'm sure I was guilty of it myself at some point in my life, is to resolve the conflict the other way by saying, it's that crafty devil who's creating this evidence that tends to disconfirm my spiritual experience, which I still maintain and know was from God. Yeah. Yep. Uh, RFM, that's I'll, I'll end the calls there. Uh, any wrap up thoughts from you? And then again, folks, don't don't leave quite yet. I'm going to play a couple of video segments that I think will hit home in terms of what like like what we left on the, the rock we left unturned is what do other people outside of our religion claim and do their words and their excitement around the spiritual experiences they claim to have had. Do they have a similar ring to them as ours? Do, are they just as monumental, just as uh, important to them as our experiences are to us? And this will be kind of a fun uh, little way to take us home at the end of the show. Any thoughts from you, RFM? No, that sounds fantastic to me. I've had a great time. I think this really was an interesting discussion. I hope everybody else enjoyed it as well. And next week, Mon Ami, we will be talking in honor of the Halloween season, which is fast upon us. The subject of Macbeth and Mormonism. 
Mm. Oh, a little a little Halloween and literature to go together. The Scottish play. I love it. Here we are, my friends. Uh, I'll get both of us off the screen, and it'll just uh, just be this video clips that take you home. While I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contest of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James, first chapter and fifth verse, which reads, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. The best way of finding truth is simply go to the origin of all truth and ask. Of course, there are times when the Spirit has been very strong. I think when when I was 14 and prayed about the Book of Mormon, before I could even get the words out, I just felt the Spirit in my heart just really strong, and, and I just felt so filled with light. Not everything is like that, but as, as I read the scriptures or as I hear truths at church, then I, you know, it's confirmed to me in my heart that these things are true, and so... Your testimony just grows little by little. And so, like, I'm, I'm reading through the Book of Mormon and, like, boom, you get, like, an aha. The thought that these things are true comes to your mind. Peace, joy, overwhelming happiness, you know, and it's just kind of, like, impressed on your soul. And then the cool thing is it's not something that happens once. It's something that happens over over and over again. Asking God, when I went home that night, I opened up the Book of Mormon and I started reading it. And I just had this warm feeling come over me that I knew was from God, confirming that the Book of Mormon really is true and that it's really His work. And because of that, I know that the LDS Church or the Mormon Church is the true Church of God. It's His work on this earth. I found an archive called the Mentina Archives, and contained within it was a book called the Book of Haggath, and it felt whole and building in it, testified of Jesus Christ. It says in the in the preface that I should ask God if it's from him, pray about it, and he would tell me if it's true. I prayed about it, and I um, received a confirmatory feeling, just like I had felt with the Book of Mormon, that the Book of Haggai is good and true and valuable, just like the Book of Mormon. I couldn't distinguish that feeling from anything else that I had felt previously. It was a spiritual confirmation. And I remember kneeling down in my living room and just... I've been searching for for a witness of this work and of this church and and just tonight I got my witness and it's burning within my soul of how important this work is and how true it is I know it is and it's hard to believe that just a year ago I was in high school and now I'm in a plural marriage and struggling, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the Lord's work, that I have finally found it. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I make a supplication. Allah, help me, guide me, guide me to the truth. If you guide me to the truth, I'll never leave it. And I knew in my heart, Allah was telling me in my heart, that Islam, this is, this, this is true, you know? And I knew right there it was the correct religion. And at that point, I had this feeling of um, of just peace. Just uh, that's how I describe it: like peace with everywhere within me, the outside. <laughs> it gets me a bit now, but I had this. It was completely different feeling for me, and 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 it's changed my life since that day. And and I, and I've never looked back since. I started praying to really to find the truth. It didn't take a long time to to find out that Islam is the truth. 
and that there can't be any other religion in the world. I said, please, God, you are the one who listens, who always listens. Please, who do I have to follow to come to you direct? Christianity or the Muslims? I was 100% sure that God has answered my question. What is the right way, the only right way to come to God? Islam. And I knew, my soul knew, that um, it is what I've been searching for a, a long time. And um, I knew it even before I read it. When I got those statements, I just couldn't stop reading because I knew. And ever since I've been in the class, there's never been a doubt. Like when I first met them, I knew that I, what they had to say was true. It wasn't something they said or something that I knew inside me. I felt uh, it was like a recognition. It was instant recognition for me. And there was never a doubt in my mind. I just wish that people out there could understand how much we feel and know this is real. This is not a fantasy. I know. I didn't have to believe. I knew.